Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe. Oh, I'm Roger Werman. <laughs> and you're listening to Works, works for, for Us, where we talk to people about what works for them in their relationships and, of course, what doesn't. Okay, so as you all know, Roger and I talk about relationships on this show, but we are most definitely not experts. I'm pretty sure all of our listeners know this by now because we literally say it in every single episode. Um, But today's guest is actually a sought-after psychotherapist who regularly fields difficult and deeply personal questions about relationships, life challenges, and way more. So she is everything that we're not. I repeat, we actually have a real therapist on our show. So Lori Gottlieb, the brilliant Lori Gottlieb, she writes the Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column and is co-host of the popular Dear Therapist podcast produced by another one of my heroes, Katie Couric. Love Katie. And love Katie Couric. In 2019, her TED Talk was one of the top 10 most watched of the year. And her book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, has sold over a million copies and is currently being adapted as a television series on ABC. I could keep going about her accomplishments forever and ever and ever, but I want to make sure we leave enough time to actually talk to her. So I'll go ahead and welcome the brilliant Lori Gottlieb to Works For Us. So thank you so much for being here with us, Lori. Welcome. Oh, my pleasure. It's so great to be here. It's very exciting for us because we make a lot of fun of ourselves um, because, you know, it's funny. I think I want to I want to just start by saying, you know, we always say sometimes as a mom, you kind of just become like a doctor a little bit. You just are because you at some point or another experience almost everything. So, you know how to take, <laughs> take care of everything. And I feel like because Roger and I have been together for 30 years, we will celebrate this August. And we started Works For Us because people would constantly come to us for relationship advice or like, how on earth does this work for you guys? And how do you last 30 years working together and parenting together and all of these things? And so, but the the thing we very clearly state is we are not by trade an expert in this and you actually are. So we're so excited to talk to you. And first and foremost, um, I would love for our audience to hear a little bit of your backstory and your career journey. And um, I mean, I guess kind of what you're working on most now. Right. So I'm a psychotherapist. I see mostly couples in my practice at this point. And I am also somebody who came from a background working in film and television and um, being a journalist for many years. And so I have this hybrid career where I have a private practice and I have the Dear Therapist podcast and I write books and I write columns. And really, I'm just trying to democratize emotional health, to really give people access to these conversations that everybody wants to be having, but they don't know how to have them. So are you basically saying that we're doing God's work? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you just said that. (laughs) I, I thought you said that. No, I'm so I think sorry. what she's saying is she is actually. Oh, oh you're doing. Well, I thought <laughs> yes, we were. In, I we're thought we were trying to. No, but I thought we were bringing the conversation closer to everyone. No, well, it's not taboo to talk about relationships. No, well, it definitely is not, and it's so interesting to talk to you because you obviously are very accredited in this, um, and we're just going from our experience and things that we've seen. And it's funny. I always say to my friends. I feel like I've been divorced 12 times because I've been through it so many times with friends. Like I feel like I've been through IVF because I've been through it with such close friends. And I think at the end of the day, um, it 
it's something that I think now, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I think social media has played such a big part in, in my opinion, democratizing uh, emotional health, because I feel like people are now posting and speaking about things that they would have never even admitted to ever going through, you know, whether it's postpartum or, you know, like after, you know, pregnancy or anything, just um, all of these things. And I think people were very ashamed and still are, but I think it's becoming, and, and thanks very much to you, because it seems like that's definitely one of your missions to kind of help people get more comfortable talking about the things that are hard to talk about. I just wanted to hear a little bit more about how you got to where you are, right? Because I, I, I'm sort of intrigued in the fact that you said that you worked in film and entertainment. I, know, I could just envision you being on like the set of Spider-Man and being like, you know what? I'm <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking I really just want to have a, th I'm going back to school. Like, so did you go to school for this after you had a career? Yeah. First? It, you wow. know, it's not that, it's not that different from your, your scenario. So after college, I started working in film development. So I was doing development for movies and then I really liked television. I was sort of obsessed with television at a time when TV was not cool. At right. the time it was like movies was where it was at. Sure, yep. And so to make the move to TV, everyone kind of looked at you like, what are you doing? But I moved over to NBC and I did primetime series development. I was like a junior executive there. And when I got there, it was the year that two big shows, we didn't know they were going to be big, but two big shows were premiering. One was called ER and the other that one was show. called Friends. That show. ER and, Friends. and then Friends. And, ER Friends. And, Friends. Yeah. and by the way, that's when television became, you know what's being cool? You know what's cool? Selling franchise rights to those series. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, what I was interested in was the stories. And I think that the sort of the through line through my career is all about story and the human condition. I mean, even a sitcom like Friends, it was so much about things like, relationships. you know, who are we in relationships and who are we in the world and who are we to each other and how do we deal with heartbreak and disappointment and confusion and identity, right? So, and who is family and what does that mean? Um, and I think, you know, for ER, that we had a consultant who was a, a real physician, who was an ER physician, and I would go hang out with him and, you know, purportedly to come up with story ideas, but really because I was just fascinated by the ER. And at one point he said to me, he said, you know, I think you like it better here than you like your day job, because I would never like want to go back to my office. And so he said, you know, maybe you should apply to medical school, which I found hilarious because I was a French major in college. And so I was kind of like, hmm, but I was the the kind of math sciencey person also. Right. And, um, you know, I was like the only girl on the math team in my high school and things like that. So there was sort of the creative side and then the kind of more intellectual side. And so I took all the classes to go to med school. I went up to, I got into med school. I went up to Stanford for med school. And when I got there, everybody was talking about this new thing called managed care, where my whole idea was because of story and the human condition, I was going to have these patients that I would see throughout their lives. And I was going to have all these like relationships with my patients. And it was going to be sort of like the family doctor who guides people through their lives. And then all of my professors were talking about that is not going to be very realistic in this new environment of, you know, the 15 minute visit. I was about to say, do that all in 15 <laughs> minutes, knock yourself out. Exactly, exactly. And so um, and so I left to become a journalist. I started writing when I was in medical school and writing about my experiences. And then I became a journalist because I thought I really want to go deep and tell people's stories. And that's what I did for 10 years as a journalist. And 
I, I really loved what I did. And then I had a baby. And for anybody who has had a baby, I think they might recognize that kind of isolation yeah. that happens, right? You need like other adult humans to to talk to yes. you in that time. And so, like the UPS guy would come and deliver all the packages that you get. And I would be like, hey, how are you? How's the weather? You know? And he would like back away to his big brown truck to like get away from the crazy woman who just had a baby who's like super lonely and wants to talk to people. And so I was like, I need to do something about this. So I called up the dean at Stanford and I said, maybe I should come back to medical school and do psychiatry because oh I loved the mind. And she said, you know, you're welcome to come back, but do you really want to do that with a baby, with a toddler? And besides, you know, a lot of psychiatry is medication management. Sounds like what you want to do is do clinical psychology. So she, she suggested that I go get a degree in clinical psychology, which I did. And I got, you know, took my boards and got licensed and did the whole thing. And I have this hybrid career where I feel like I went from telling people stories as a journalist to helping people to change their stories as a therapist. And that's really my focus. So cool. That is so interesting. And weirdly, okay, so in the total opposite, and I'll spend 30 seconds on this, I actually was a psychology and sociology major in college. And that was simply because I was completely obsessed with the mind and how people think and behave and why. And relationships. I swear to God, there isn't a day that passes where I feel like I don't use that subconscious knowledge and experience, right? But <laughs> opposite of you, when I realized I had to go to a lot of extra school after I graduated, I was like, nope, detour. I'm just going to, and I ended up using it quite a lot in my life and in my career. But similar to you, I was obsessed with the story and the relationship and the mind and what makes people think and why they think that way. And I ended up applying it into life now, like literally doing what we're doing now. I love to hear people's how they think and, and why they behave and what makes them go. And it's so fascinating. And I love your story. I love that you went back to like do more school. Well, it goes back and to- And at Stanford, by the way. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, your passion is really going to make you good at something. Yes, that's incredible. And wow, friends, just saying, still my favorite show of all time, just saying. So you, you touched on this and you said that you uh, specialize in couples or relationship therapy, I guess. Uh, which is so lucky for us because we have a relationship show. This is so amazing. Um, we, might, we might offline you. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. But what is like the most common? common I was going to ask. What is that. the most common thing that people say to you? I will say there's one gender thing that happens a lot. Um, and I, you know, in a, in a heterosexual couple, but again, I see all kinds of couples. Um, usually what happens is, first of all, men will come in and they'll say something like, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And they literally have not told a soul. Of course. Like even if they're happily married, even if they have lots of friends, women will come in and they'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, my best friend. Right? So they have like this whole list of people, but yes. they feel like yes. they haven't told anyone. See, that's what I always say to him. When he says I haven't told anyone, he really hasn't told anyone. When I say I haven't told anyone, there's three people I told. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so, and how that comes across in couples is like, so usually it is, you know, somebody says to somebody else in the couple. And so it might be a woman who says to a man, you know, I really feel, I don't feel like we're close anymore. I don't know what's going on inside of you. I want you to open up to me. I want you to share with me. And then he does, right? Right. He does. And maybe he starts crying and maybe he starts crying a lot. 
And she will look at me like a deer in headlights, <laughs> like, oh my God. What, what comes out is she didn't feel safe when he wasn't sharing with her because she felt like there was this distance between them and they weren't really connected. But she didn't feel safe when he shared that much, when he got that vulnerable with her. It's funny. Stop it. It's, that's why you don't like when I drink that much. Or whatever she she wants me to be completely in control at all times because I'm her safe. I'm person. just a control freak, and when your safe person isn't in control, it like sets you into another place. Well, that's what it is. Safety, exactly. It's it's safety, right? And so it's kind of like we have this idea that that the guy has to be the rock. He has to be the solid one. He has to be not the, anymore. Right. Well, that that's well. You. <laughs> I think, think in but, the but olden days. But part of your job is taking care of that stigma, I imagine. Well, right. So it's this whole patriarchal notion mm-hmm. that we have to dismantle. And mm-hmm. and and so even people who think that they don't think that, when you see it happen in the therapy right. room, they're embarrassed. They're like, I don't, I'm not a person who believes this. And I'm like, well, on some level you do, right. because you just had that reaction. Sure. I'm just going to paraphrase for our listeners what you said. Or should I do that? Because you're going to twist it. No, I think I'd like <laughs> to take a stab at it. So men are trying to handle their business until their significant others nag them to such an extent that they're forced to discuss things with them. Then when they discuss things with them, they're so appalled by the little babies that they've married, they want to (laughs) paddle it back up, and then it really doesn't prove helpful. I don't know that's what she meant at all. I think okay, I would rephrase that. Yeah, oh, see? Okay. <laughs> see? Rachel, Thank why you. Do, why don't you take a shot Thank at how you. you heard it? That might have been selective listening. I don't know. <laughs> I might suffer from an ailment. You could help me. The part that I want to reframe on that is that it's not that men don't want to be talking about this. It's not like they have to get nagged into talking about it. In fact, men feel such relief when they get to talk about this, they want to talk about it. It's really hard to hold everything inside. And so when men are allowed to talk, it actually creates a much healthier relationship. So it's not like they're feeling like, well, somebody has to kind of pull it out of me. It's they want to, but they don't feel like they can because they feel like they'll be perceived as weak or or their their partner won't um you know, won't respect them in the same way. And what do you think opposite of that sort of, what are some of the key things that you see in the most successful, like happy relationships? Like what are the sort of common threads there? Cause that's something we'd like to see. Cause we well, know like on our podcast things that- None of the people that, are there. Otherwise it wouldn't be, no, just kidding. No, that's not true. Otherwise it wouldn't be seeing her. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. That's no, it might be true. <laughs> I think one of the things that most couples struggle with is perspective taking that, you know, and this is what my TED talk was about, was that how we're all unreliable narrators. Right. And so we come in and we are so sure that our version of a story is the accurate version, Mm -hmm. the one version of the story. And when you see couples, you learn so much more than when you see an individual who comes in and says, you know, like my partner did this or my partner did that. And I have to read between the lines because I know it's just their, their version. Right. So when you see a couple, you get to see, wow, they really have a hard time seeing the other person's perspective. Mm -hmm. They have a hard Hard time understanding why that person said what they did, acted the way they did, um, did what they did, whatever it is. And so it's it's really a, a good exercise. On the, on the Dear Therapist podcast, we had this guy come in and he had cheated on his wife and um, and left her for the person that he had cheated with. And common he had such thread. a hard time. Oh, common thread, right. Um, and, but he couldn't, he couldn't take her perspective and he couldn't understand sort of like why, you know, why nobody understood that he had been in pain too. And it's a really hard thing because you don't feel a lot of empathy for him Mm -hmm. until you hear more of the story and until he can have empathy for all of the pain that he caused to so many people. Sure. And, And so that's an extreme example, but I think just in the day-to-day couple stuff, 
it's so hard for people to not personalize things to say this person did something because of something going on with them, right? Less so than something going on with sure. Me. Well, we Roger and I used to say people that cheat, they're they're obviously not happy at, with something else. There's something causing them to do that, right? And then my my thing to that is always like. If you're not happy, you have to leave. You don't cheat. But that's obviously easier said than done and sounds simpler than it actually is. But I think for me, cheating is something that isn't ever okay. And I think lying, those are like, that's like a thing with us. Like there's no lying. Lying is not okay. So I don't know, but everybody's different and everyone has different theories about relationships and what's expected. I have friends that they haven't been, you know, uh, loyal and they got through it somehow. It wasn't the same, in my opinion, but you know, some couples can get through that and they do because of children or whatever else. But I think there is no exact right or wrong, as you know, right? Everybody's different. Yeah. And I think the trust is very hard to rebuild. It takes two people who yes. really, really want to do the work to do that. Yes. And you have to find those couples who are going to do that work. Otherwise, you're right. It won't, the relationship won't repair. Do you ever look at people and say, stop trying. This isn't going to work. Like, do you ever say like, you aren't going to put the work in and don't waste your time? Not in those words, obviously, but like, do you ever take that sort of like stance? Okay. So as someone who has always relied on my hair as my security blanket or like my actual curtain to my soul and to my, my everything, I've always had a lot of hair and I've always held on to it. It's always been long and thick and full. And after I had Skylar and Caius, I honestly was afraid that my hair would never be the same. I was breastfeeding, I had really full hair, and then all of a sudden I didn't. It totally thinned out. I did not understand what was happening. I didn't think it would happen to me because I had so much hair. You know, it was hard. I really like missed my full thick, natural hair. And what I learned in that moment is that thousands of women, myself included, you know, really have now, thanks to Nutrafol, have taken back control of their hair. And it really works. I've seen it time and time again. I've experienced it myself. I hear it from everybody. I hear it from professional hairstylists that tell their clients to take Nutrafol. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to really improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding. No matter what your stage is in your life, Nutrafol has a solution. Nutrafol women is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, which we all do, and environmental toxins. While Women's Balance is formulated with an additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause, which I hear so often it's just another struggle with aging that women are having is hair loss. Healthier hair growth takes time, but you'll actually begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. In my personal experience after using Nutrafol consistently for three months, I really started to see and feel a difference in my hair. And actually the hairstylist that I work with noticed it and they said how incredible my hair looked and actually felt. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months and more than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. 
This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code ZOE, Z-O-E, to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every single order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code ZOE, Z-O-E. Like, do you ever say, like, you aren't going to put the work in and don't waste your time? Not in those words, obviously, but, like, do you ever take that sort of, like, stance? Oh, I can use those words. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you you don't want to waste people's time. And so you have to say, you know, are you really willing to do what you need to do to rebuild this relationship? And if you're not, then nothing good is going to come of this for either of you. Yeah. Do you believe that opposites attract? Do you think that that's true? And is that, that good if they do? Because I have a theory on that. I don't think that opposites attract when it comes to values or the kind of life that you want to live. So, you know, if you have different values, no, that's not going to work. If you have different ideas about how you want to live your life, like somebody wants to live in the city and somebody wants to live in a rural area or somebody wants kids and somebody doesn't want kids, right? You know, what kind of life do you want together? Um, Those things don't tend to work very well. But I think that some people can complement each other with differences, like one person is more creative and one person is more kind of logical. Um, You know, those are complementary opposites. I totally agree. And I always say like, because people are like, oh, you guys are the same. I'm like, we are so different, but at like, we approach things in such a different way. And the things that get him upset are so different than the things that get me upset. But at the core, we're the same. We have the same value system. We have the same like- Well, I think it comes at the morals, principles, things like that. And you know, like just sort of how you believe saying, your like, kids should be and how like to raise values. them. The and, core values are okay. Right. You could probably get through some of the rough stuff. Right. And there's this saying, we marry our unfinished business, right? So <laughs> we almost had some water spilling. I like that. <laughs> what, 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 what? what does that even mean? It's like you married me because I'm good and pure and I married you because you're probably the darker side of- <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, wait, I would like to hear the the actual trained therapist. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Tell, but that tell, was my takeaway was version. sort of you like to balance out the things you're not. That's true too. I think that's true too. Um, I think that We Marry Our Unfinished Business has a lot to do with if you haven't worked through some stuff from childhood that still feels hurtful to you, you often pick partners who will hurt you in exactly the same way. And what happens is we don't know that we're doing that. So let's say you grew up with you know, a oh parent my God, it who makes is, sense. He's about to say so something I've been obnoxious. Rejected I my whole it. life, <laughs> and I married someone who is a cause of constant rejection. This is a breakthrough. Keep going. <laughs> we'll we'll have to do a session. It sounds like that, that there's a lot of unpacking. Except there. that he's so sarcastic, and he's actually never rejected. So what happens is, let's say you grew up with a parent who was not very emotionally available, or maybe you grew up with a parent who drank too much, or maybe you grew up with a parent who. Um, had an anger problem or, you know, wasn't emotionally accessible, whatever it is, you tend to find people like that when you start dating. And it initially the person looks very different. Like the person seems extremely emotionally available because maybe they're like listening a lot to you, but they're not actually sharing with you. Um, or maybe you don't realize that, you know, what seemed like a fun person to go out with actually has an alcohol problem or, you know, or a person who, you um, 
you know, is angry at other people, but maybe not at you, but then it later, you know, comes to you. Whatever it is, you you don't know it at first, but your unconscious does know. And so when your unconscious sees a person like that, your unconscious says to you, oh, you look familiar, come closer. Your conscious mind says, you look completely different. You're, this is going to be great. I'm not going to get hurt in the same way. And what we're doing unconsciously is we're trying to win this time. We're trying to work through something that didn't work out in childhood. And this time, because we're an adult, we're going to master it with this person who seems different, but is actually the same. And so once you get into further into the relationship with the person, you start to say, oh, God, this looks really different from what I thought it was going to be. In fact, it feels like home and not in a good way. Do you think that that's so interesting? Because you, you think, think the opposite. But do you think that that's what like when people say that you have like daddy issues, like, you know, women that like marry like much old, you know, just are with much older men. And you're like, wait. And then, they're, you know, oftentimes they don't have a dad or, you know, they have or some, they had issues, or they have issues, they have unresolved business. Do you th is that sort of uh an example of that, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. In in my book, maybe you should talk to someone. There's a story that I there's a patient that I follow um, with a woman named Charlotte, and she's keeps dating guys who completely disappoint her. In fact, she even starts dating someone from the waiting room. I don't mean by the way that they're like hooking up in the waiting room, right. but 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 like mm -hmm. <laughs> they they meet in the waiting room and then they they're hooking up. And um and and then one day he like comes with another woman who is his girlfriend, right, in the waiting room. And it's, she's seeing another person, he's seeing another person in the practice. And I don't know what his deal is because I can't, you know, talk to the other therapist about it, but I know that it's going to be bad news because she always picks guys who are bad news. And it has a lot to do with this inconsistency in her childhood of both of her parents. Her mother was depressed. And so her mother would sometimes be very available and sometimes not available. Her father was like always on business trips and then come back, but he was very unreliable. And, and she just didn't know who she could count on. And those are the kinds of guys she would pick until she started working out the stuff with her parents and giving up the hope for having a better childhood. I think again, so many times people are trying to kind of redo their childhood mm -hmm. in their adult relationships and you don't get a redo and certainly not with your romantic partner. That's a very, very, very interesting point that I've never actually thought of. I would say that, right, you know, I had a very happy childhood, parents together, lived in the suburbs, you know, upper middle class, whatever, normal, if you will, if there is a normal. And I would say Rachel, you know, very similar you know, even more, you know, more affluent, but just similar relationship. Uh, you know, our parents are still together now. Uh, my parents were together before they passed. So you know, I guess that's the example. So do you think that, well, I guess two things, a happy childhood, which may actually include two parents being together still. I don't know. I think you could have happy children that have divorced parents, of course. But do you think that the kids that come from happy childhoods have a better chance of being in a happy relationship and, if they, and is the happy childhood sort of predicated in the fact that both mommy and daddy were there and available and all that good stuff? Yeah. I don't think it's about whether your parents were together. I think it's about what we call securely attached kids. So securely attached kids are kids who feel like they have adults who are there for them. Mm -hmm. And 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 by that, I don't mean the perfect, this, this like idea of helicopter parenting is not what I'm talking sure, about. Of course. We talk about the good enough parent. Sure. And so, you know, were your parents attuned to you? Were they able to give you freedom? Were they able to be supportive when you needed it? Um, you know, could they talk about difficult things with you that you need to talk about? Um, you know, just the secure attachment. And you can have that in any kind of family, whatever the family looks like. But, you know, you will have, you know, parents who are married 
married and it's a disaster for the kids. You will have parents who are divorced and they co-parent beautifully and it's a wonderful childhood for the kids. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that too. A lot of my friends that really struggle in relationships came from parents that were married several times and they have such a low expectation of what happiness could be, an expectation of marriage and what a canon should be. I also have friends that came from parents that were together forever, not necessarily happy, but were together. And they're just sort of like, I don't know if there is love. I don't know if there is that, you know? And so I've seen, it's like I said, I feel weirdly like a totally untrained expert in the things that I've been through and that we've been through with people in our lives. But I think what you're saying is so interesting and so true. I mean, we could talk to you for like 12 hours. Oh my God, this is amazing. So- (laughs) But we can't because it's a podcast. But but another question, because again, I'm almost like, even in a weird way, you know, we're not divorced or, you know, God forbid thinking about it, but, you know, obviously many of my friends um, have been. And what I'm noticing more and more and more and more, it's like, A, you kind of knew this person was sort of who this person was you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And they're just sort of waking up to that reality that, and then now there's the divorce. Like, I cannot believe my wife was so this, so that it's like, what well, do you mean? Well, I like, told you not to well, marry like her. G X Y Z friend. Uh, if like, that was like her most, like we knew that normal, we all saw like her most, you know, her calling card, like what? Like, so are people just blinded by love? Like, what is it? Well, again, I think that's the compartmentalization that their unconscious is drawing them to that thing that everybody else says, whoa, run, run really right. fast the other way. Right. And their unconscious is saying, oh no, run toward that. And so they compartmentalize it and they're not really paying attention to it until it becomes problematic. Wow. That's really interesting because I never, I've obviously heard as Roger said earlier, like, oh, she has daddy issues. Like that I've seen, that's a common thread, especially here in LA. You've said that stories form the core of our lives, right? So did you come to that from personal experience, from your educational experience? Uh, I'm, I'm just curious. Was this just like things that you've been hearing? I, I mean, guess what does it really mean? I mean, yeah. stories yeah. form the core of our I believe lives. That. It sounds like, yeah, it's like, an, you know, it's a narrative, your ongoing narrative or something. So, right. So we're all writing our story every day. We're all telling how our lives are going through story. Here's what happened. Let me tell you about this. And she said this, and he said this, and here's what happened. And, and, and we make sense of our lives in a certain way. But we also have these stories that are running in the background. And so when we're talking about childhood, some of these stories are formed very early on. Things like I'm unlovable or nothing will ever work out for me or I can't trust people. Um, and there might be good stories like I am lovable and the world is a safe place, right? So there are these stories that we carry around with us. And then every choice, behavior, action is dictated by that story. So we think that everything that we do is kind of an independent decision, but it's not. It's being guided by this unconscious story that we're we're carrying around with us. And at a certain point, as an adult, you start to say, "Is this story true? Right? Like, you know, it, does it does it do I? Is it a self fulfilling prophecy because I'm I'm That's like making earlier. it come true right. in all of the all of the choices that I make? But does it have to be true? What would happen? if I edited this story. And so I feel like as a therapist and because of my writing background, what I'm really doing when I'm sitting in the therapist chair is I'm helping people to edit their stories. I'm helping them to say, wait a minute, who is the protagonist here? Is the protagonist going in circles or is the protagonist moving forward? Who are the major 
characters, the minor characters, the heroes, the villains? Um, what are some of the themes? And and where are the where are the places where the narrator is unreliable? Where are the places where this story needs editing? Where are the places where we need another perspective or another point of view in here? So everything that I do as a writer, I do in the therapy room with people to help them to really examine their stories and see whether they're serving them. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's so interesting. So it's like when Roger says, I don't have patience. My dad didn't have patience. But he could be like, wait, I can try to have patience and rewrite the story. Like that would be a good example. I'm pretty happy with my story. This show is brought to you by our show's new sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. We try our hardest to take care of our bodies, but what about our minds? Without a healthy mind, so many other areas of our lives can suffer. The good news is therapy really works. If you're facing depression, anxiety, stress, postpartum depression, PTSD, or any other mental issue, know that thanks to BetterHelp, easy online therapy is more accessible than ever before. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. But you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, which trust me, is sometimes so much easier for people. The idea is to get the support you need in a way that makes you feel the most comfortable. BetterHelp is so much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. You won't have to wait or schedule an appointment two weeks out, like a typical in-office therapist. You'll actually get to communicate with your therapist within two days. That's pretty incredible. I know so many people who love BetterHelp. They are using it constantly. It has saved them from such a hard time after this long year that so many people are struggling with their emotional, mental health. I cannot recommend BetterHelp enough. I cannot explain how many people I know that are just singing its praises. So join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. Don't forget that. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and works for us listeners. Get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash works. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash works. And rewrite the story. Like that would be a good example, I'm pretty happy with my story. (laughs) So here's the thing about that. I love that because... What happens is a lot of times couples come in and they want something to change. Right. And what they want to change is the other person. Right. So when you say when you say this thing about patience, so many people will say like, but every week we talk about this and he or she or they, whatever, they're not changing. They're not changing. And I say, maybe that's because they don't want to change. And the older you get, the less you and want to I. change. What right do you have as the partner to make them a change versus what Versus what it's all, and it's also like, that's what, you know, growing is all about, right? I think that we have this idea that because I want my partner to change and because I'm right, which is what we think we are, um, then my partner should change. It's reasonable that he should have more patience. Right. But he might not want to have more patience. But doesn't everyone want to have more patience? No, nope, he's shaking quickly. his head no. See, he's very clear. <laughs> I really want to move quickly. <laughs> He'll disabuse you of that notion right it's like, now. There's no reason to spend that much time on like such stupid crap. Like move on. Right. Right. So then the question is, how do you respond to his lack of patience? You know what I did? 
This is what I swear to God. And I tell him this all the time. I've been very open about this and I've actually done it with quite a few friends and I'm not sure as a professional in this, you're going to agree with my theory, but I've actually really spoken to a lot of my girlfriends and I really said, lower the expectation. I think once we become mothers, I think that we are completely consumed between work, kids, everything. And I think we just kind of try and do it all. And I think what happens for better, for worse, is as women, we start to then expect more from our husbands. And our husbands were always like attentive to us, right? Like pre-children, and that wasn't a problem. They could do work and they could do us, right? And that would that was fine. Then you add children, and then all of a sudden they don't have their me time or anything like that. And what I and realized- then you add a little dog named Goldie. <laughs> but then what I realized is- and I mean this actually not being insulting, actually. I, I'm dead serious. I don't mean it as an attack on men because I actually really love men. But I guess my point is, is that I think that we demand this of ourselves. We decide this is how we're going to run our lives and and be there 10,000% for children, for a dog, for whatever it is, for the husband, whatever it is. But I think by expecting that they're right there with us, thinking exactly the same way and like, ready for all of that. I just think we're built differently as species, men and women. And I think that what I realized was just when I say lower the expectation, I think it just means like, this is this is how I'm choosing to deal with it, but I'm not going to also expect that this is how you're going to deal with it, life the same exact way. And I think when you do that, it's like, you know, I do believe as women, we have this instinct that you know, you have 400 eyes around your head, right? Your child is in the back corner behind you, but you know exactly what they're doing. Whereas I think sometimes men will be in a deep conversation and not remember their child might actually be in that back corner. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just mean like sometimes there's there's things that we think about. And again, not saying better or worse. I just felt like if you don't expect so many things all the time and assume that they know what you're thinking all the time, that's really helpful. See, you know, I, I, I would say, do not lower your expectations. <laughs> you guys are different people, yes, right? And 100%. this isn't so much a gender thing. So I want to say this is, this is like for any couple, this isn't a gender thing that you're different people and you have different ways of being. So it's not necessarily that he doesn't have patience. It's that the way that you come at him with things, right? It, he feels flooded. He feels like this is too much. This is too much for me. Totally. And that's, Right. So he's, yeah. So that's when we instituted a text policy. So she couldn't wake up in the morning, give (laughs) me 10 things that I have to do. Now she texts me all the time. No, now she, no, now she just texts me all the things I have to do so that I can get to them at my leisure. Right. But if you're talking, right. But right. So if, if, if the conversation is always like, and here's the list and here's the to-do list and all that, well, of course, right. You know, that's, that's not necessarily about not having patience. That's about how do you guys communicate around running the household? And that's a different, that's a different kind of conversation. Totally. But I mean, to like, kind of like paint it like men are Neanderthals and they don't really have the capacity. No, I think that what I don't mean it that I don't mean it as an insulting way. I just mean like, I really believe everything she's saying and I'd like to hear more from her. No, no, it's not that I guess, because I do want to defend that. I don't think that of men at all. I just mean that. I just mean that it's because of the way we may handle things, whether it's the guy or the girl or two dads or two moms, it doesn't make any difference. But I guess what I'm saying is like people are different. And when I say manage the expectation, it's like because this is my approach to 
parenting or looking after the house or whatever, I'm not going to try and make you do what I'm doing, no matter what sex you are. I just mean like, in particular, my girlfriends, when they're like, he doesn't help me with this and he doesn't help me with that and he's not doing anything with the kids and he doesn't even, I'm down here scrubbing the bathroom floor and he doesn't even offer to help. And I'm like, tell him you need help. You know, I'm like, cause he can't read your mind. He thinks you got this, you know? But also there's, so there's a different priority going on here. So you might be downstairs scrubbing the bathroom floor and he's like, oh, I didn't even think it was dirty. Right. right? Or like it didn't bother me. And so, and so then there's this catch 22 of, well, it bothers me and I want you to go do something right. about it. Yep. But, but it doesn't bother him right. in that way. And that's a different issue. And by the way, I'm not scrubbing the bathroom floor. <laughs> I was trying to picture that. But but I think the thing is, is that you have to say, like, I had a couple come in and she was like, he does nothing. Right. He is like dead weight. I'm sure you hear that every she day. She literally used that word. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was, you know, she was so upset. And and he said, well, hey, you just do everything. And then when I do it, you tell me I do it. I don't do it the right way. I and feel I like do that's it wrong. Common. And yeah. Right. And so I said, what would happen if you just stopped doing those things to her? If you stopped doing those things that you want him to do? She's like, it would never get done. He's like, yeah, it would. It just would get done in a different way. And so I said, I want you to just experiment this week and try for one week to just not do the things that whenever you feel resentful that you're doing something, just don't do it. Well, he started to notice because it's like they needed groceries and they were out of things. And like the kids were like running around and no one was supervising them. And so, you know, he was like, oh, <laughs> right. But but he did it his way. And she was like just sitting there, just like, you know, painting her nails. And you know, she was like loving this. this. Is amazing. She's like, That's why didn't amazing. I do this earlier? Right. And so why don't we do it is because we feel like not only do we want it done, but we want it done in a very specific way. Oh, my God. I love you so much for saying that. I just think people are like that. I think no, in I've, every relationship I know, there's right. one. There's I think one what like I've, that. I think what I've noticed, I think it comes down to what is your version of being like a good dad? My version of how I am is is really good. You know, I don't you know what I'm saying? So. If her version is different, I just think it's what her version of a dad looks like. Do you know what I'm saying? But she's putting that on me like, hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty good here. Well, I hear things like I, I hear things like, you know, so so I wanted him to like I went out and I came back and they were like all sitting in front of the TV and they'd been doing that for two hours. And it's like when I'm with the kids, like we're reading books and we're doing arts and crafts and, you know, whatever we're doing. And it's like. Yes, but the kids were having a good time and they were safe and they were happy and they were <laughs> bonding with a, one of their parents. And and so that, that's where these problems arise is like, it's so great for kids to be exposed to different parenting styles. And as long as you agree on sort of the, the main values again, but, but, you know, these ideas of like, we have to parent in exactly the same way, instead of exposing our kids to two different people who are both our parents and we have different experiences with them. That's great for the kids. I have a very bit, a very important question because I think this, it's a fully loaded question, yet a short question. Do you believe that people are capable of change? Yes, absolutely. So many people say to me, oh my gosh, being a therapist must be so depressing because you just hear people's stories of pain all day. And I'm like, no, that's not what I do at all. Sure. What I see is change and transformation. And I think most big transformations come about from the tiny, almost imperceptible steps that we take along the way. And that's what I see week after week after week is people 
doing something, moving out of their comfort zone, trying something new, editing their story, um, having different reactions in relationships, um, being able to have a different kind of intimacy that they never felt comfortable having, um, being able to get close to people in a way that they never knew possible. So for me, I think people are absolutely able to change. But we have to realize that change comes with loss. So a lot of people think, well, if I'm making a positive change, isn't that a great thing? Like, you know, it's like, this is why New Year's resolutions fail all the time. I don't because, believe like, in them. I'm going to make a positive <laughs> change. And, and then it doesn't last because there are stages of change. And so, and you're giving up something that you're familiar with. And we don't like that because humans don't do well with uncertainty. So even if the familiar is like this miserable situation or an unpleasant situation, at least we know what it is, the new situation we haven't been in yet. But there are these stages of change and it starts with pre-contemplation where you don't even know you're thinking about changing to contemplation where you know you're thinking about it to preparation where you're making the, the preparation, the steps to do it, but you're not taking action yet, then action is where you make the change, but that's not the end of the change. That's where New Year's resolutions fail. They're, they stop at action. Sure. The phase that's most important in making change is maintenance. And that is how do I maintain the change? And people think that once you make a change, if you then slip back, you failed, experiment over, forget it, I'm incapable of change. And that's just not true. You know that you're going to slip back because we're human and we're not perfect. And so if you know that in the maintenance phase, you're going to slip back, you're going to yell at your partner in a way that you told yourself you weren't going to, you're going to eat the thing you said you wouldn't, you know, you're going to treat your child in a way that you said you wouldn't, whatever it is, um, then you just get back, back on track. And, and that's just part of the change. It's not linear. It's like, it, it's kind of like it goes up and down. And over time, it becomes more consistent and you get more consistent in maintaining the change. Interesting. Yeah, take That's practice. Very interesting. I have we have like a few final questions for you. Um, one very important, obviously coming off the most insane year probably of anybody's life. Um, what have been some of your professional takeaways from this pandemic year? And do you think it was a catalyst for a lot of relationships? I mean, better or worse, because you know, I've seen both. I've seen more breakups and then more pregnancies than I've ever seen in any year in, in my life. But also, life. what are the different, along the same question, um, what are their different, how have the questions changed? Right. That you're getting asked. Yeah. I think that would be a really good idea of the, you know, what people were on their mind before. And now or maybe they haven't. Yeah. I think that whatever couples were experiencing before the pandemic, were amplified yeah. during the pandemic. So if they had a strong relationship, it became stronger. If they had a lot of conflict in their relationship, it was magnified. Um, it's been interesting doing couples therapy during the pandemic because it's all online. And so it's a very different experience. And in my book, I, I wrote about how, you know, one of my colleagues had said that doing therapy online was like doing therapy with a condom on because <laughs> it's like, as we all, as we all learned this year, there is nothing that can mimic the experience of being face-to-face -face with people. It's a completely different kind of human experience. Mm -hmm. The energy in the room, you can hear them breathe, you're seeing the same things, but people have had to do, you know, had to do this in, in the privacy of their homes, but I've seen so much more happen 
because it is the privacy of their homes. Sure. And they think that people are just kind of like acting the way they do in their natural environment. And so I think it's been incredibly helpful for a lot of couples. And I also think the one thing that's taboo to talk about about the pandemic is this idea of like, what has been good for us? How have we grown during this time or things that we discovered about ourselves? But I think it forced us to prioritize what are the relationships that are important to us? That's for what sure. are the relationships that maybe took up a lot of emotional real estate that we don't want to anymore? Definitely. I, yeah, I've heard we, that from a lot of people, we've like done that cleansing for sure. friends, people you don't want in your life that annoyed you before and you realize how much you don't miss them or need them in their lives. Well, I think you lives. also, obviously, proximity and ease is a uh, a poor uh, replacement for actual friendship, right? Oh, the person lives near the... Yeah, I, I run into them all the time. So, But when you actually have to make a real plan or get on a Zoom call or whatever to actually just because you want to talk to that person and catch up, I think... You know, I think the the priority list gets you know short and real quick, and I think that's what yeah. that's what happens to everyone. And I think that's a good thing because I think yeah. now even things like people are saying, you know, what do I want to do professionally because I don't want to commute to work or I want to work from home some days or yeah. there's this other thing, this other passion that I discovered during the pandemic, and it's so politically incorrect to talk <laughs> about because it was it happened alongside so much devastation mm -hmm. and yeah. suffering and loss. But both can be true. It's like both and. And if we can hold both at the same time, I think we will come out of this much stronger. I totally agree. And I do want to say one thing that maybe uh, you should talk to someone is actually being developed into a TV series. So your, wor your worlds are actually coming back and colliding. Full circle. Um, Full circle. Which is so exciting. And I feel like I'm going to be fully obsessed with this show. Is it going to be like friends grown up? Well, I like think I, I think, you know, therapists in the media have been portrayed as either like the brick wall, you know, the person who doesn't talk, who's just kind of like there and they, uh-huh, and, you know, whatever. And or like looking at the they're clock. They're sort of like- uh, at, the, at, right. the money, at the money. At the right. time's up. Well, so they're just, right. And, and I think the other one is sort of like, they're the hot mess, right? They're like the person like, you know, who's like crossing boundaries and sleeping with their patients <laughs> and, you know, mm -hmm. like they, they can't get their own lives together mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and neither of those is a- you know, what therapists really are. I say at the beginning of maybe you should talk to someone that my most significant credential is that I'm a card carrying member of the human race. That I know what it's like to be a person in the world. Mm -hmm. And so of course I use all of my training, but I also use my humanity to help people. And, and in the TV show, it's really a show less about a therapist than a person who happens to be a therapist. Right. Gotcha. It's and secondary. I think that distinction is really important. This was incredible. Quite this was treat. really fun for us. A total honor to have you on Works for Us. And um, I don't know. We, we're anything, really excited to see what's next. Anything you want to leave our listeners with? Any parting like, words? Like, anything? Encouragement? Best piece of advice for, advice a relationship. for a relationship? By the way, not just couples, but like any actual relationship, like any kind of relationship. So I really enjoy shopping myself, but I also understand that it does require time and work. Not everyone, of course, is up to that challenge. There are people out there like Roger, of course, that just don't have the patience to shop ever, and I totally get it. Shopping can be confusing, it can be overwhelming, finding pieces with a great fit, and returns in general can be annoying and really challenging and difficult. But that's why using Stitch Fix is actually the perfect solution. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and of course, budget. 
It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love to wear. I'm telling you, it's the easy solution to finding clothes that actually work for you. I know countless people that rely on Stitch Fix and their experts to just supply their wardrobe. They love it. It's so easy. They don't have to think about it. They pick what they want to keep, return what they don't for themselves, for their husbands, for their children. You try pieces on at home before you buy. Keep what you love, return what you don't. It's so simple. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included, which in my opinion, huge bonus. If you're worried about committing to a subscription, don't be. There's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards pieces you keep. I honestly can't think of anything better. And there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids. They ship all over the US and available in the UK as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash though, Z-O-E, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash though for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash though, Z-O-E. Yeah, well, when I think of relationships, I also think about our relationship to ourselves. And I think that in order to have a, a strong relationship with somebody else, you have to have a good relationship with yourself. And so many of us, especially women, I would say, are so unkind to ourselves. We are like so cruel to ourselves and we don't even realize it. So when I give talks, I'll often say to people, you know, from the stage, like show of hands, how many, you know, who's the person that you talk to most in the course of your life? Is it your partner? Lots of hands. Is it your parent? Is it your best friend? Is it your sibling? So that's who people think it is. But really the person we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourselves. And what we say to ourselves isn't always kind or true or useful. So I had this woman come into therapy and she was so self-critical and just did not realize it. And I said, I want you to go home and write down everything you say to yourself over the course of a few days and come back and we'll talk about it next week. So she comes back the next week. She dutifully like put everything in her phone. She starts to read it and she starts crying and she's choking up. She says, I can't even read this. I am such a bully to myself. And there were things like, she did something with her kid, you know, like just she had a moment where she snapped at her kid. And she's like, you're a terrible mom. Or, you know, she was typing an email and, and she made a mistake and she said, oh, my God, you're so stupid. Or she caught a reflection and she's like, you look horrible. You would never say that to a friend because you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think she was a terrible mom for that one moment or that one email or that one you know moment she caught herself in the mirror. But we can be so unkind to ourselves. And so I really want to encourage people to notice what that voice says. It's like a radio station playing in the background. Change the station. If it's if you have like the mean bully station on, like change it to something kinder because we need to be kind to ourselves to have a good relationship with ourselves so we can have good relationships with others. Wow. Um, Drop the mic. <laughs> I'm totally Drop dropping the mic. The mic. That one. And now I'm going to go be nice to myself. Yeah, I actually I give Rachel that advice all the time. She needs to enjoy herself more. Stop being such a martyr. I always say, don't be a martyr for everything. You don't it's have to do it all. You don't have to do it. You know, you don't have to die in the sword for everything. Like other people could do things. Life will be okay. Like think it'll get done. Like free your free your soul up a I little. I think it's I think it's this idea 
that we are enough, that maybe we have things we want to work on, there are things we want to do in life, there are ways we want to grow or change, but that doesn't mean that we aren't enough. And so many times when we get down on ourselves, we feel like something is wrong with me or everybody else is better than me at this, or you know, I'm not, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And um, I think that's a really dangerous way to go through life. That's a story that often we carry around with ourselves and social media can make us feel like that a lot. I was going to say, I know more people than not, myself included. I mean, we're all hard on ourselves. We just are. I mean, I just, I, th- I don't, I maybe have one or two friends that isn't, honestly, right, that I could say. Right, and I, and I think too, the thing about social media is like, we were talking about vulnerability earlier, is that, yes, I think it's good that people are now opening up these conversations. But I think what you also see on social media is sort of a curated version of, of vulnerability. I so totally people will agree. say, you know, like I'm sharing this with all of you guys. I've never told anyone before, mm-hmm. but I'm sharing it with all of you that I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. That's not true vulnerability. To me, true vulnerability is sitting face to face, a few feet away from someone, um, and who means something to you, where the stakes are really high and saying, this is the truth of who I am and I'm gonna share it with you. Mm -hmm. That is true vulnerability. And I think we need to do more of that. When you asked about parting words, I think maybe you should talk to someone. The name of my book isn't just, well, maybe you should go see a therapist. It's maybe we need to talk more to one another, but in a real way, Mm -hmm. in a real way that will feel connecting. Great advice. Thank you so much, Lori. This was fantastic. Um, I mean, really such you. a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for the conversation. Now I feel like we suck. See, there she goes. We suck. See, <laughs> I was actually- <laughs> that, that was the lesson. I failed miserably. I'm just then. kidding. I mean, I'm Lori, just kidding. I'm just making fun I actually, of ourselves. I think that You I'm think such that a- for being non-professionals, I think we're pretty good. No, I think that, <laughs> I think that- I give myself a free pass every day. I'm pretty happy with myself. He's not down on himself I'm not down at on myself, all, by the way. So I got no problems. This is great. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you interpret my message that in a way that suits you. It's my narrative. I'm learning. It's my narrative. He lives in a really nice place. Um, all right. Thanks again. This was thank special. Thank you so much. Thanks for being thanks on for with us. Me. This was a real treat. Thank you. And congrats on everything. Yeah, congratulations. This is so exciting. And buy her book. Buy her book. Maybe you should talk to someone soon to be a television series. Very excited. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 So that conversation with Lori Gottlieb was truly remarkable. And I really noticed the difference between professionals and non-professionals. Well, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. So a couple of <laughs> observations. First of all, I think my voice inside of me is telling me that I'm a failure because we don't know anything about relationship advice, but yet we have a podcast. I don't agree with that. I actually think we're pretty spot on, not in the technical sense, but I think I, listen, I think with relationships, my takeaway was there's actually no right and wrong other than I think the overriding theme is that you have to be open to other people's approaches and perspectives on things. It's almost like common sense. You know, that's sort of what she was saying. I use my humanity. It's like you use your common sense, but I do think I should read her book and I do think I might sign up for an online uh, psychology course because I really need to help our listeners learn something other than me rambling on about things. Okay. But um, I thought she was incredible. She's so accomplished and I actually, 
I literally could have talked to her for like I didn't want her to leave. I'm like, hours. no, don't go. But I'm completely obsessed with psychology of people. And I, I think, again, I think that's why it was what I studied in school. But I think ultimately the amount of patience you have to have to constantly listen to other people's issues and try and fix them is a really daunting task. And, you know, I don't know. I was so impressed with her. She was really really amazing. So. Do you think it would be a good or bad idea if we did a live therapy session with her or someone like her for us? I think that would be the worst thing we could ever do. I think that would be a lot of fun I for would everyone 100% to listen to. Like, I would 100% like, no. The answer is no. I think it would be a terrible idea. Okay. Anyway, if you liked what you've heard so far, please make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and please give us a good rating and an amazing review Please, 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 please. We deserve it. We deserve it. I mean, we think we do totally unbiased. And please don't. keep listening. Please find us on our Instagram at, at works.for.us. Call and share your story or ask us a question. If you want to share your own story or ask us a question, leave us a message at our new Works For Us hotline, 657-549-2251. And we might just share your story or answer your question on the show. Before we go, we need to share our highlights and lowlights from our week because in relationships, the bad comes with the good. So this is our time to mention a little bit of both of those things. Babe, you go. What's your highlight or your lowlight? Give me one first. Well, I guess I'll start with the highlight. The highlight for me was going to the launch party of you and Grace this weekend. Uh, I don't know. I felt really good because as you know, it's one of our investments and- well, an incredible product. An incredible product and just watching it grow and seeing everyone there for them and just seeing it get bigger and bigger. It's just giving me a lot of gratification. So it made me feel good to be a small, very small part of that. Uh, so that was cool. It was like an entrepreneurial high. Yeah, it was just nice. And just, you know, they're, it was meaningful, you know, everything they're doing. I mean, this is their company and, you know, they're they're working their asses off to make it something. So I, I, I thought it was cool. Okay, low light. Low light. Um, I'm going to get back to you in the low light. Okay. So I had quite a low light. We as a family had a low light. Yeah. Can I share your low light? No. Well, we did it as a family. Okay. Actually, I did it. You... Uh, 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 really? Yeah. So why don't we go over the story? Okay. Anyway. Um, so. I was taking Goldie out to go to the bathroom, even though she's not my dog and I'm not supposed to take her out for the bathroom, but you know, I chip in. So I took Goldie out for, to go Cold. pee. I see. And then Goldie happened to see a mean dog father. Goldie saw a bee on the floor. And being that she's a puppy and clearly not as well, I guess she's never encountered a bee before and doesn't know what bees do. But she decided it would be a good idea to put that bee in her mouth and try and eat the bee. Well, the bee had other ideas for her and stung her in the mouth. Caius came running into my room with Goldie in hand, told me what happened. And I looked at her and saw immediately that she was definitely not right. She looked like she was going to pass out. And Skylar started crying because he thought she was going to die, which in all fairness, she could have easily because she had an allergic reaction to the bee sting, just like her mother, meaning me, and her grandmother, meaning my mother, which is pretty surreal that genetically it's not really possible, but somehow <laughs> we got a puppy that's 
also allergic to bees. And thankfully, we have an incredible vet named Holly in the Pacific Palisades. I strongly recommend her. Um, and Roger and very brave Caius, who remained very calm and thought it was the best way he could handle himself. He said, I think if I remain calm, Goldie will be okay. And took her with daddy to the vet. I stayed with Skylar and kept him calm. And um, they went and she got all kinds of Benadryl and IV and all of these different things that ultimately saved her. And they brought her home and she actually not only survived, but she thrived and by the next morning, she is a healthy, happy puppy. But now we have to actually have a puppy EpiPen for her, which is another <laughs> responsibility as a puppy parent that Roger is so excited to have, but he's going to take it with grace because we love her and she provides so much snuggly love for our family. So that was my low light, our low light as a family. My highlight would be that my wonderful, caring, incredible husband of 24 years, soon to be 30 years together, came home from Vegas after four days with no voice, completely exhausted, totally hungover, but with beautiful flowers. So that was my highlight. I got beautiful flowers that are thriving in my house that he brought home from Vegas. Um, and that was my highlight of you the week you know because what? you should always bring me flowers. You know what? On, on that theme, I've suddenly remembered my low light. Oh, God. While I was in Vegas. Okay, anyway, thanks know, for watching. No. Works for us. Thanks for listening. We love you all. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I know we've already talked about the importance of mental health in this episode, but I honestly cannot say it enough. There's no need to ever feel ashamed if you want to try therapy and if you're at all curious whether or not it'll make a difference for you. The support you need is absolutely within reach because of BetterHelp. BetterHelp is so incredibly convenient and so easy to start. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to try to fit an in-person therapy session into your weekly routine. I find with so many people, that's actually the hesitation is they don't want to deal with the commute to and from a therapist's office. And of course, how expensive it is. And if you're worried that you might not connect immediately with your therapist, know that BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. They make it easy and free to change counselors if needed so that you can find the fit that's right for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Works For Us listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash works. So don't wait. Visit betterhelp.com slash works and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.